This is another MP3 podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle, Australia. Talking travel on 2NURFM 103.7. Thanks to our sponsor, Travel World on King. I'm Jane Klein. Sally Lucas uh, got the good oil on travel for us today. Hello, welcome. Thank you, Jane. And this is our last one for this year. It's last a bit sad, isn't it? Ah, oh, well, let's go travelling instead. Oh, yeah, another year's just flown by, hasn't it? Now, what happens if you are travelling for overseas? We just wanted to mention to people, and it might be like stating the obvious to some people who are obviously are very good and aware of what happens now with hand luggage and so on, but apparently Sydney Airport has just sent us out a report saying they can't believe how many prohibited items they are still getting coming through both the international and the domestic terminals. You know, something like at the international, nearly 1,400 pairs of scissors is a monthly average of what they're... A monthly know, average? Monthly average. Um, you know, and in total prohibited items, 3,700 a month in the international, 5,900 in domestic. So people seem to think that domestic is different to international, but it's not as far as what you can take in your carry-on luggage. Virtually no sharps is what it amounts to. So, no so that's s- not just scissors? Nail files, nail clippers... You know, even someone has knitting, like Granny takes a knitting, the knitting needles are perceived to be a weapon or could be used as such. Um, so just to remind people, you know, if you're packing for Christmas and you're going away, you don't want to have delays at an airport to start you off. There's nothing worse than starting off on the wrong foot. So what we're saying is pack sensibly for Christmas or for any time that you travel, but particularly at Christmas when the airports are so busy and it would mean lots of delays. So just remember that your carry-on luggage is screened, these items will be removed, like pocket knife, scissors, whatever, so please remember to put them in your suitcase if you must take them with you. And also remember you cannot take liquids, aerosols or gels in any more than 100ml containers in a Ziploc clear bag. Anything else over and above that size, again, must be in your suitcase. It just makes travel a lot easier for you and everybody else because people behind you don't like getting delayed either. They've done the right thing and you've done the wrong thing. It just gets everybody a bit on edge. So just pack sensibly for Christmas so you can enjoy your holidays. That's all we're saying. Now, if you're going to Southeast Asia, there might be some good news. There should be. This is an, um, to streamline tourism into the region of Thailand and Cambodia. And Thailand has the, had this year the most amount of visitors out of Australia they've ever had. Um, they're suitably impressed, of course. And they're talking about Thai as even increasing their daily service, which is more than a couple of days, some days, to even more to cater for the increase in tourism into the Thai area. Um, so what they're going to implement very soon, and we haven't got a date on this yet, is that visitors will be able to apply at both Cambodian and Thai embassies for a visa that covers both countries. So a single visa lets you travel between the two countries. So that might just make life a little easier for people going into that Indochina area. And broaden the travel experience. Absolutely. That means it makes life a lot easier for you. And apparently also it looks like you might even be able to get the visa because Australians don't actually need a visa for Thailand up to X amount of days, um, you might be able to get the Cambodian one like on the border, which would make it life even easier still if you think, oh, I might duck into Cambodia and you can just get it on the border. So we'll keep you updated with what's happening with that in the new year. Um, just thought I'd also mention a lot of people these days take apartments, villas, t- you know, townhouses, farmhouses, etc. in in Europe. And I just noticed the other day there's a lovely little apartment in a place called Greve, which people might know, which is in the Chianti Classico area of Tuscany, which is a fabulous part of Italy. And this little apartment is right in town, in the village of Greve. So 
a lot of the others are out and you must have a car because it's the only way you can get to them. And I've had a few people, ladies, single, travelling together, not comfortable with driving in Italy on their own. So this is a way where you can use your rail pass and be able to stay in the township and be part of village life. And it actually looks really, really nice. Um, you know, I looked at it on the net. The interior's been done out beautifully. It's a typical old Tuscan-looking building from the outside, but the inside looks lovely. It's got its own little veranda and just looks really nice. So just to let people know is that is there in the marketplace now as well as the ones that are on the outskirts. And also just recently people might have seen um, Getaway, um, I think it was about a week ago, and they did um, a section on that again on Meteora in Greece, which is that wonderful part of Greece, very dramatic in its scenery with these huge pinnacles where they've got, you know, temples or churches as they were, monasteries were stacked on top of them. And it's quite a remarkable place to go and visit if you're interested in Greece. Everyone thinks Greek islands, but the main part of Greece has a lot to offer and a lot of history, a lot of, you know, especially Delphi and so on as well, of course. But, um, yeah, Meteor is just one of those absolutely outstanding geographical phenomenons and it's fantastic to go and visit. So it's worth including that in your Greek itinerary, I think. Very spectacular area. Yes, it is a very spectacular area. And just to let people know, though, we've mentioned before how within America we can get lots of these city passes now, you know, to get you around. This is becoming available in a lot more areas now, like in UK, Ireland, there's Dublin passes, historical Royal Palace Pass now, a York Pass to do the York and the Yorkshire area, a National Trust for Scotland Discovery Pass. So lots of things out there now to purchase in advance because it saves you queuing and you've got that admission then that gets you into all the particular areas you're interested in. So just always think to add those in when you go and it makes life easier whilst you're away. Lastly, even though it's probably a bit late for this year, just want to let you know Yellowstone National Park is now doing more winter activities. So even if you're not going this year, just think of it. And they've opened their winter season this year on the 19th of December and they opened the Old Faithful Snow Lodge and the Mammoth Hot Springs Hotel. So that's quite interesting. So they do run winter rates and offer ski and snowshoe rentals and ice skating rinks. And, you know, it's a wonderful old um, national park, one of the oldest, I think, Yellowstone I think in America. Right. Yes. So just to let people know, they often think, oh, you can't get into these national parks in winter, but they are now obviously encouraging a winter stay as well as a summer stay. 2NURFM 103.7. Travel is the subject. Sally Lucas, we're off to somewhere pretty cool. We are a very cool place of the world, and that is the Antarctic, of course. Um, the Antarctic, as we've said before, is just the most amazing, amazing place. It's like, to me, like almost being in fairy tale land, you know, with these wonderful icebergs and just, just spectacular wildlife and just pristine and fantastic. Now, there's lots of expeditions, as we know, that do the Antarctic Peninsula out of Ushuaia. But I just thought I'd mention that um, Aurora Expeditions, who've been going down there now for 18 years, um, have managed to secure a second vessel called the um, Marina Sveteva. And it's going to be navigating the unexplored coastline of the Ross Sea. And it'll leave from um, uh, Tasmania one of them, and one is leaving from New Zealand. And there's two different itineraries. One's just doing the Ross Sea, and that departs from Bluff. And you go down also you know, through all those islands, say Campbell Island, etc., down into the Southern Ocean, Cape Adair, which is at the mouth of the uh, Ross Sea. Um, and then you go inland where you can see Mount Minto, of course, which is, is a famous mountain down there. And they hope to visit 
the hut built in February 1899 that housed the Antarctic's first winter expedition, which was led by a Norwegian-Australian. Um, and then you go on to Cape Hallett, Terranova Bay, McMurdo Sound, of course, the Ross Ice Shelf, um, the Ross Sea Coast, and then you come back up through the Pennell Coast, the Balleny Islands, Southern Ocean, and Macquarie Island, of course, back across the Tasman Sea and back to New Zealand. There is, it's a 26-day itinerary, so they are long itineraries, of course. You, you're going through quite a lot of sea and distance to go down to that opposite end of the Antarctic continent rather than the closer one, which is the peninsula close to Ushuaia. But you're um, further south, I suppose, of course, once you get there. That's yeah. right. And it's unexplored. You'd feel like a real pioneer. Well, you would, you would, absolutely. And I read some reports of one of the staff that had gone down there for the first time and was just absolutely blown away and amazed by what they saw. Um, so other than the Ross Sea, there's one they call itinerary for icebergs and emperors, and this is the one that leaves from um, the Tasmanian east coast and then goes down to Macquarie Island, which of course is where Mawson set up his communication base in 1911, and it's home to some three million royal penguins. Um, and they're most inquisitive, of course, and king penguins and nesting albatross. So it's a world heritage area, and you have elephant seals and fur seals and so the wildlife is wonderful, and then you continue on, of course, down right down into the bottom part of the Antarctic uh, Plateau, um, the Mertz Glacier. So they're different itineraries, and that one also then comes back through the uh, through um, New Zealand as well, islands and other Antarctic islands before it returns. It's twenty seven days. So someone who's really wanting to have that. I guess exploratory journey which this would be you'd feel like you were just like one of the first explorers going down doing something like this and if it's on your wish list it would be an absolute wonderful experience to to do that of course if you don't have that time or you feel that's too long at sea you've still got the option of those lovely 10 and 12 day Antarctic Peninsula journeys out of Ushuaia so you are travelling across a fair bit of open sea you are you have quite a few days at sea whereas when you do the um, Drake Passage it's only about two days before you hit the ship Shetland Islands, or not literally hit the Shetland yeah. Islands, but um, before you have them in your sight, um, and then you you know travel on down to the Antarctic Peninsula. But um, going across, the, they do go through some islands though. But you're actually at sea for a while before you actually reach the Antarctic continent if I can put it that way. So you are still seeing things, um, going via little islands on the way, but it's a longer time at sea before you'll be going ashore. How would they, what would happen on board ship while you were crossing? Basically, they have wonderful people on board. They have sort of marine biologists and people who will discuss the the actual um, fauna of the, of the place. So you've got people advising you about the bird life, the seal life, the whales, the dolphins. So there's regular talks on board along with they have a little movie cinema theatre. So they're showing you documentaries and movies. And so lots of things happening. They've got a really well stocked library so you can research and read. And, of course, there's plenty of binoculars kept on board in the bridge so you can be always on the outlook. Everyone's always up there. You've always got to be on the outlook for something happening. And there usually is. And, you know, you don't go very long without seeing a whale or, or, you know, a pod of dolphins or some wonderful birds, those beautiful, you know, the wings of an albatross. When you see an albatross like that in the wild, they're a magnificent creature. I mean, the wingspan is unbelievable. And you see the little penguins, and they call them they porpoise. That's what their terminology is when they dive out of the water and in so they're going in and out and in and out like a dolphin does I suppose so they call it that's when they they're porpoising so these gorgeous little things will go and cross crisscross in front of you in front of the boat and just you know just wonderful so terrific experiences out there
And that's a good cue <laughs> to wish you a very happy Christmas too, Sally Lucas. Yes, and to all our listeners, we do wish you a wonderful Christmas, a safe Christmas if you're travelling. Of course, stay healthy, stay happy, and we look forward to talking to you again next year. Yes, we'll be back talking travel in uh, on the 8th of February, Friday the 8th of February. Okay, that'll be, be great. Our first one back. And uh, that will, of course, be talking travel on 2NURFM 103.7.